So we've been doing this series. I, I'm, I'm really loving it. The whole concept of renewing the mind. Maybe a better title would have been Living from Heaven. But it's kind of renewing the mind so that we understand that God has perfectly equipped us in our spirit to be seated in heavenly places. We're not just imagining it. We actually are. Scientists and, and physio... Uh, physio... Um, Physicists, quantum physicists, astrophysicists are now confused about space because the Newtonian laws of absolute principles and uh, certainty in the cosmic laws of the universe aren't so static. They're realizing they ebb and flow and they change and they morph and they bend, and light's not just this, it's also a that, and it's a particle, and it's a wave, and it bends, and yet it's going straight. And I mean, the scientific world's in a mess, because they try to figure God out at the end of a test tube. And God can't be figured out at the end of a test tube. He just left his fingerprints, so the closest they came was to a form of, well, there must be something out there that's an originating cause. But now they are more confused. And the amount of quantum scientists coming to ask questions about the God who spoke and said, let there be light 14 billion years ago is, to use the phrase, astronomical. And in all this, God says, you're not going to discover me. You can't find me. I'm outside of your dimensions. Quantum physics is now talking about seven or eight or nine eight dimensions. We live in three and understand three. We don't try and understand four, five, six, seven. Einstein proposed the fourth as being uh, distance. But anyway, the point is, whether there's 10 or 20 or 30, God is outside of our rational understanding of the physics of creation and the and the cosmos. So he has to reveal himself. But after the fall, man's mind was so corrupted that he had to elect a man called Abraham, a nation called Israel, to show them that something was really wrong. He gave them the law. And all the time, God knew the end from the beginning. And Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one slain before the foundations of the earth, the one in whom we were included in the cross when he died and said, Father, forgive you and me and Janet and and Joy and, and Louise and Trev. Forgive them, Lord. At that moment in time, the sacrifices were fulfilled. The knowledge of God was beginning to be developed through the tabernacle, through Israel's struggle with God and their backsliding and their repentance and the cycles of the kings and all that stuff in the Old Testament was there showing how God was wrestling with the corrupted mind of man to bring about the true knowledge of God and not the in the beginning was man and man created God after his own image. 
And the renewing of the mind involves and entails coming to a understanding. Uh, we've preempted this series by saying that Christ is outside of time and space, in the unseen, uncreated, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, eternally in relationship and very fulfilled and satisfied. They weren't so lonely they needed little old you and me to come join them. They just loved little old you and me so much they couldn't wait for us to join them. So they created this place. So the Bible talks about like three heavens. So there's the the scene created, the stuff, you know, you can taste, smell, see, all that what Rob was talking about. There's this heaven here where airplanes fly and the clouds float. Then there's the unseen created. It's the other heaven. It's the heaven of the angelic, of demonic, of other activity, of other dimensions, other things happening that we don't observe in the natural senses. But our soul can discern them. There are feelings you can't see. There are the, the capacity to envision, which is a creative force. The capacity to, to uh, emotional, our soul, can operate in that realm. And then, of course, there's the unseen, uncreated with God. And I know I've mentioned this many times, but some things, unfortunately, until it's been repeated enough that your pastor gets it, you just have to endure hearing it again and again. Now, here is a powerful scripture. Hebrews chapter 6. Paul, uh, somebody's writing, we assume Paul, to the Jewish believers that were in Jerusalem but had one foot in Judaism as their way to righteousness and the other foot in Jesus. Okay, that's the background of Hebrews. But here Paul, uh, the writer, gets to a very important verse. And he says, Therefore let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ. You're not elementary. That's like grade one, grade two. It's the simple stuff. It's the, it's the uh, seen created realm. It's the, it's the Jesus as a historical figure. Who believed that Jesus was a historical figure? Well, if you didn't, then every time you wrote the year, you were contradicting yourself. Might take a bit of time to sink in, but, you know, 2022 is 2022 years ago. Something cataclysmic happened and split history BC AD. I wonder what that was. Okay, so historically there was this Jesus. And we can belong to an organization that sing about him and go and celebrate his birthday and Christmas. So there's a historical Jesus. Then there's this other Jesus that we believe, you know, died for our sins and he's at a distance and I spend most of my life trying to fill in the 20% that he didn't do for me. So that he's pleased. So whatever level we are in our understanding of Christ, he says, let's leave in order to move on to maturity. Say maturity. God's desire for us is maturity. And then he splits the phrase between not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Or as I explained last week, the faith in the presence of God. 
It's faith before God. That phrase, faith in God, depending on the grammatical form it takes, it can either be the faith of God, which is for you grammatarians out there in the genitive with the theos as the object, then it's the faith of God. But in this case, it's faith in or before God. It's in the dative for you grammatarians out there. And those of you who'd be interested, it's not going to save you and not change your life. But people can't go around saying, every time you see faith in Jesus, it actually means faith of Jesus, because it actually doesn't. Did I get technical there? All right, so it's so so not laying again the the, the the repenting from acts that lead to death, but having faith in the presence of, before God in God, having faith, a confident uh, assurance when I stand before my Father in heaven that I can be bold in His presence, I can receive grace and mercy, I can come to Him and call Him Abba. I have a new level of relationship with God. That when I lived under the works of the law that were the works of death because the law led to death, when I was trying to figure out the salvation as every religion does in its own ability to reach God or please God or appease God, somehow there's the resulting death. Now, we know God has equipped us to live in this seen reality the unseen created and the unseen uncreated in our spirit, our soul, and our body. I want to talk a little bit about the soul this morning because I believe this impacts on that scripture. Let us leave and let us mature. You ready for that? So there's some things we're going to talk about turning from and then there's some things we're going to be talking about in the presence of or before God. So let's take our will, repenting from, faith towards. Going on to maturity now. Repent from, let's take the first part of our soul, which is the area of our will. And as we've already said, the bottom line is there's a problem. And the Old Testament law came and revealed to a people that it wasn't cool to have to make baby sacrifices to their deities. It wasn't cool to go into your enemy's camp and bash the children again, heads against rocks. It wasn't cool to run off with your neighbor's wife and have his, her husband killed. It wasn't cool, even if you got away with it. They needed to see that something was definitely wrong. There was a problem. And he elected Israel to bring that first stage of revelation of his character to. It says in Acts chapter 26, I'm sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, our will has an active part. We are not robots. We weren't pre-programmed for this. Our will has to participate in the receiving of forgiveness 
to be amongst the sanctified. And after the day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and he preached that message, the crowd he preached to, it says about them, when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Interesting, they were asking, what shall we do? Being cut to the heart is evidence that the gospel's been preached. The truth of the word has been preached. So people, hearts, something is not right. There's a problem here. What should I do? Remember, or if you don't remember, in the wilderness, when they came to Mount Sinai after leaving Egypt, the people said exactly the same thing. What shall we do? We'll do anything God tells us to do. Can you see the, the glaring mistake? Okay, let me preach on the side. The glaring, mis- the glaring mistake was this, that they thought there was something that they could do. And the moment they did that, the law did its job by killing them. And how did it do that? Well, other than 3,000 dying that same day, when Moses came down with the law, all the gold that they brought out of Egypt, that they hadn't melted into idols when they were hungry for food. They hadn't melted it into idols when there was no water. They didn't melt it into idols when they were grumbling and complaining about to Moses about, why did you take us out? You know, now we've got to eat manna day and night, manna burgers, manna pizza, manna pasta. Now, you know, take us back to Egypt. No, no, no. The day Moses brought the Lord down the mountain, guess what they did? They built a golden cow. The law will reveal what's in our hearts. What shall we do? Look at Peter's answer. Peter replied, repent. In other words, it's a time for your mind to see a whole new picture. Metanoia, change of mind. It's going to require a miracle. Be baptized. Is that going to wash your sins away? No. It's in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism is that identification that when Jesus died, I died. And if you've never been water baptized, you, I plead with you to be water baptized according to the scripture. Speak to one of the leaders and say, I haven't been baptized. You go down into the water of death. You rise with Jesus from the grave and you are ascended with him. Now that's something who does? Remember they're asking the question, what must we do? So let me answer you now from Peter's reply. What do they have to do? They have to change the way they think about everything. The way they're living, the way they see God, the way the mind is going to have to be renewed, in other words. And they need to identify with Jesus Christ's a hundred percent perfect accomplishment, his perfect performance, which was his life of 30 years of being tempted in every way, like you and I, enduring, fighting through, 
fighting through the corruption of the mind that would cry and come and put thoughts into his head. He fought through without sin and went to the cross, went to the grave and rose as he said. That's what we identify with in our baptism. What do you do? You identify with Christ. And here comes the maturity part. Because now you're going to be transformed into the image of Jesus. The promise is for you and your children and those who are far off, whoever the Lord may call. We're still talking about the soul as relating to the first part, which is repent from. So the next part of the soul, logically, is the mind. So the mind of man has been corrupted. His view of God, his view of existence, his belief systems, his projections onto who God is. So the mind, something has to happen. In Ezekiel it says, then you will remember your wicked ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourself because of your sins and detestable practices. This was the purpose of the law, was to bring a remembrance. Remember, Ezekiel is still under the law. You will remember. If the gospel is preached to us, our hearts are cut because we remember what a mess, we, what, a, what a mutiny we've been part of against the living God. In Romans it says about the mind, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, my friend, hearing the gospel is the beginning stages, the elementary steps of moving into Jesus, what he did, being baptized in identification, even if you don't fully know what you're doing, you start to grow in the knowledge of that. It comes through hearing a pure, undefiled message of the full gospel. But how do they hear? Well, that's where we got a part to play. Can you feel your feet? Wriggle your toes in your shoes. Or stamp them. Or bang them together. Kick your neighbor. Or t- it says, how beautiful are your feet? I've got beautiful feet, man. They're not so cool to look at, really. But the Bible says they're beautiful. Because they get me to where I can gossip the good news. And when somebody hears, their hearts are touched. They see the depraved state they're in. Then the good news continues that The perfect life I couldn't live, Jesus lived. The perfect death I should have died, the imperfect death. He died as a perfect man without sin. That grave that would have held me captive 
couldn't hold him captive. And because I'm in him now, I'm resurrected from the dead. I'm then raised from the dead. I'm now ascended with this Christ. And I'm co-seated with him both now and for eternity in triunion relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit who have loved each other forever. Let's move on from the elementary thinking of who Jesus was. And he said to his disciples, who do men say I am? Oh, you're a prophet. Who do men say I am? Oh, they think you're John the Baptist. Who, who do you? Who do I? Let's leave the elementary. Let's move on to maturity. Amen? Let's get to the third part of the soul in relation to what we're repenting from. The air of our emotions. Our heart has been darkened. Jesus once said, the things that come out of a person's mouth from the heart are the things that defile him. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are the things that come out of that passion room called your, your heart. Sometimes interchangeably used with the word soul. But it's that part of your soul that feels. If your mind is the part that rationalizes and thinks and stores and remembers and imagines, and your will is that part of you that sends the machine in motion, then the heart of you is the heart. Isn't it amazing? God puts this pump station here and then refers to it as the seat of our emotions. It's not really that pump station where he lives, by the way. It's far too small for him. But our heart is included in him. I'm not... Well, I'm jumping the gun. Let's first have a look what... So out of this heart, and then in the Old Covenant, he says, Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? In other words, when you've got an idol in your heart, it's just, it's a person, you idolize them. If I can have that person, then I'll be happy. Then what's going to direct how you pray? Whether that person's for you or not, whether they're married or not, the heart wants what the heart wants, and the heart, because it's got an idol, will start asking things that are illegitimate. Maybe that's why he says, I can't answer their prayers. Why should I let them inquire of me? Because when we've got an idol in our heart, is it an idol of ministry? Is it an idol of significance? Is it an idol of something in the physical nature, if there's something, an idly something that I'm treasuring and trusting in to do what only God wants to do in my life, then, like marriage, I mean, Janet had to beat this into my head, that a husband can't look to a wife to make him happy. Hello? And a wife can't look to the husband to make her happy. Happy is something you do for yourself. And when you're looking to the other person, that means you're not looking to God. And God said, I'll make you happy, not your partner. When you're grumpy because your partner is not making you happy, then you're just going to be unhappy. Because nothing else can take that place. Your pastor can't take that place. You've got to look to God to meet your needs according to His riches in glory. Even the government, bless their hearts, 
Even the government are just given authority to try and, you know, keep holes out of the roads and um, government hospitals running smoothly and education operating at a good level and keep the lights and water on day and night and, you know, provide those free services that we enjoy. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to look to God. Hello? After I strayed, I repented and came to understand. I beat my heart. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. The heart, when it's got idols in it, is a very dangerous place. Ah, now we move on to the positive stuff. Tell your neighbor, now it gets positive. So these last little few minutes I've got left, we're moving from the areas of the soul that I had to repent from, I had to turn from, had to do their work in me, now I get to move into faith before God. And this also affects my whole soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions. Let's start with emotions. Head knowledge can only take you so far. Experiencing the Trinity is what makes the real difference. That's why even when I didn't feel like getting out of bed this morning, and it was getting later and later, and and somebody bumped me and said, you have to go to church, you're preaching today. Even when I stood here during the worship, I go, oh, it's actually so good to be here. I was so tired this morning. But now I'm just standing with my family worshiping me. The experience of God is so amazing. Remember the story when Jesus went to the well and that woman gets converted because he has a word of knowledge about her husband that she'd had and he tells her, from her belly will flow a river of living water. And then the disciples come back. And she goes off, tells the village. They all come back, sit around. Jesus tells them the same message that he had told her. Then they make this amazing statement. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Something shifted in their hearts. They were cut in their hearts. The healing came when they heard the good news. The heart responded with joy and a knowledge that this really is not just a prophet, not just a good man. This is he who was spoken about by the prophets of old, saying that I shall send one before me, and a bruised reed he shall not break, and he that goes before him shall, shall declare be, uh, 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 the day is coming when born of a virgin in, in Bethlehem a, a savior will come. Paul writing to the Corinthians in the New Covenant, he says, and yet now I am happy. Not because you were sorry, you know, when you repented and there was sorrow in your heart, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us, or our message. Godly sorrow, say godly sorrow. The God kind of sorrow brings the God kind of repentance that leads to salvation 
and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow, just feeling, oh, I'm just such a terrible person. I tried to go to that church. I joined that religion. I went around going, hare, hare, hare. I then went to this, and then I went to that, and I tried here. Um, I'm just, oh, I just, I'm not good enough. How can God ever accept me? That is worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow just brings death. And in Ephesians he says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Kind of ahead, ahead of myself here. You being established in, in love will know. You have the power together with all the saints to grasp. Sorry. Have the power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, know this love, know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, this is just a ridiculous prayer. Come on, this is outrageous. To say that you can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What? Don't you know I still get bad thoughts? Don't you know I still do wrong things? Paul prays that when you know how much you love, you will know that you are filled to the measure of God. When you know that your love is just a response to the incredible love, that it's four-dimensional, it's high, it's wide, it's long, it's deep. It's just all encompassing. Then you will be filled. Your heart will know that it's too small for Jesus to live in, but you live in the heart of God. Then we come to the will part of this faith before God. Our will needs to be realigned with the eternal will of the Trinity. Something happened when you believed on Christ. The moment faith came to you through the message you heard, you were declared and made righteous because you were in Christ, seated with Christ, dead, buried, ascended. But the area of the will, the, the, the heart is touched, the heart is oh, filled with love, and, but the will is a stubborn slave. You know that? Or master. Uh, the, the will of God and the will of man run very different. And, 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 because, of, and because our will needs to be realigned, the first thing we do, Paul says to the jailer where they were locked up and there was an earthquake and they were set free and the jailer wanted to kill himself. And Paul said, don't kill yourself. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. The jailer's will kicks into place and he does something. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his own house, set a meal before them. Must have been like a 15-minute Jamie Oliver action, because it's the middle of the night. 
And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. This, this, this captures, when I read this scripture, I got very excited because it sort of captured the whole process. From the, 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 the mind receiving the word, the heart being quickened, and then the action doing the, the living like Jesus to your brothers. Washing their feet. Healing their wounds. Making a meal. You can see I get around a lot. Eh? You can see I go to a lot of jailers. But the will is involved in this process. And some strong words on Colossians. But now, You must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self and have put on the new self which has been renewed, matured in knowledge in the image of its creator. Can you see how the will is in operation here. Because at conversion, I was made perfect. But my stubborn will needs to come into alignment. So he says, take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. Who does that? We do it. So we take off the clothes that was, a, that was identified with the person that got buried with Jesus, that used to go around, that lied and fornicated and stole. And I, ta- I take off that and I stand in, the pre- in front of a mirror and I say, I'm not like that anymore. That person died. But the new person who's taken his place, let me have a look. Ah, oh, Jesus. Can you see? What maturing is taking place here? When you stop believing, you are defined by the person who lied, the person who stole, the person who gets angry, the person who fornicated or who has this addiction. You, you don't identify with that person anymore. You take that off, but then you put on something. The new self says, the new self, who, the new self. Look in the mirror and say, I'm a new self. And it's being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Jesus was tempted in every way you are. And he overcame. I'm now being transformed and translated because in this world, I still make poor decisions. Hello? Anyone made like a dumb decision that needed to be restored? Hello? Okay. Bitterness. Anyone ever struggle with bitterness that you needed to forgive? Anxiety and fear that, 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 that needed to be converted into trust in the Lord. We all have to take that stuff. 
and it says, and he sums it up so beautifully here. You know this is my favorite verse, eh? If you've been in the church longer than a year. I have been, let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, this is beautiful. I'll go through these last two as quick as I can. The mind. Importance of renewed understanding of the Trinity. Paul says, I count everything rubbish in, in my past religion if I can just know Jesus Christ. To know Him. To apply my mind to who He is and what He's done. And then in Corinthians he writes, For who has known the mind of the Lord? So that, as to instruct Him. I mean, think about that. None of us have got the mind of God. We don't have the intelligence and the omniscience and the all-knowingness of God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. This is very interesting. We don't have God's mind, but we have Christ's mind. And Christ said, he who's seen me has seen the Father. What was Jesus saying? The Father and I are one. And the Holy Spirit. And together, when we say the word God, we are compacting into that a relationship taking place between a Father and a Son in the Holy Spirit. We have the mind of Christ. In Hebrews, it says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many different times, different ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom appointed heir of all things, through whom He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. If you doubted it, that says it all. When the mind understands that as he thinks, I can think. And he is God who came to reveal who God is. If you've missed everything else in the last five, ten minutes, God came to this earth to show you who God really is like. Because a process that started in the garden with an altar and a sacrifice and then a covenant and then a temple and then the high priest, and the offerings, and etc., etc., etc. And then, when the fullness of time God sent His Son, was for that express reason. Look at this. Jesus praying in John 17. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Jesus knows the Father. You know, that was blasphemy. They tried to stone him on a few occasions by even going close to saying that him and the Father were on speaking terms. Never mind, we're one. 
Now look at this. You go a little bit further down the prayer. He says, I've made you known to them. Who's him? Who's Who's he made known to? I've made the Father known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. And then he says to his disciples, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Whatever you thought Jesus was, was too small. Whatever I'm thinking Jesus is now, is probably too small. He holds the universe together. And he was the final revelation of God revealing to people without the mental competence to understand what he's like. And I again challenge you, whenever you read the Bible, make sure you've got Jesus' prescriptions. Because whatever image you create of God that is not the God that Jesus came to reveal is a God we've created in our image. And that we will correctly divide the covenants to know that When Jesus said, pray our Father, he uses the word Abba, which is the most endearing term, that we have a Father, that we can dare to call him Father. For a religious person, calling Allah Father is blasphemy. Calling him Abba. Any of you ever read that book, I Dare to Call Him Father? A book about a young Muslim girl, never heard the gospel, had a revelation of Jesus, clearly told her what to do. She baptized baptized herself in the bath. She wrote a little book about her testimony, and she called it, I Dare to Call Him Father. Because that was blasphemy. For the Jews of the day, it was blasphemy. We take it so for granted that Jesus came to show us who the Father Yet, we still hold God's image to a piece of paper that says that that earthquake that destroyed that city was an act of God. It is so entrenched in our psychology that somehow God is behind all the bad things happening because He needs to teach us a lesson. Somehow it's so embedded in our consciousness that God gets the rap on all those things. And Jesus, as the revelation of him, says, Father, I'm going to keep showing you them who you are. Now, I know this raises some questions. I get it. I battle this out seven days a week. You only have to battle for 40 minutes on a Sunday. But I refuse to believe that Father God God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are any different from each other. Because that's a contradiction that is too ambiguous for comprehension. That they could be different is a blasphemy. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. And look at him in the correct context of the covenant and the work he was coming to do. You see, 
We have to go on to maturity. Can you see why? Because we've had so much garbage stuffed down our theological throats for so long that we didn't understand what we're repenting from and what we now have faith in or faith before. We have faith before based on better promises, on a better covenant that shall not pass away, that are eternal in heaven. Let's stand up.